Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, uh, we are going to be talking about finding uh, light after darkness with a wonderful writer who writes for many magazines and things and has written a memoir about the loss of her daughter. So would you like to introduce her, Heidi? Sure, Mom. We'll be talking about finding light in the dark with Marianne O'Hara. Marianne is joining us from Massachusetts. And she is a bereaved mom whose beautiful daughter, Caitlin, died. She is the author of the book, Little Matches, a memoir of finding light in the dark. And her stories have been featured in the New York Times, Time Magazine, and People Magazine, and many others. Welcome to the show, Marianne. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to have you on the show today. Uh, Talk a little bit about Caitlin. She had cystic fibrosis. And she was waiting for a lung transplant. She was. Um, she had reached the end of the line with those lungs of hers, and she waited two and a half years for a lung transplant. And by the time she finally got it, it was a bit too late. She actually died of a brain bleed, and oh, it was wow. devastating two days after the transplant. Because you wow. must have been so excited that you finally had the transplant. And yes, finally, because you spent a lot of time in the hospital waiting, right? We did. We waited. We had to move for many reasons from Boston to Pittsburgh. We had to really, you know, uproot our lives. And when we first went to Pittsburgh, we were hoping that it would be over within a couple of months at the most. And in fact, we were, she waited for two and a half years. Um, So yeah, it was, it was devastating. It was a whirlwind at the end. It was like a spiral. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. But in those early days, early hours, I should say, when she had received her transplant, I remember writing in my journal, we are finally on the other side of transplant and the relief was, was wonderful. And I can remember that, that beautiful feeling, but it was very, very fleeting. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting to me, Marianne, in looking at so many interviews that you've done is that Caitlin is vibrant and gorgeous and positive, and you would never know that she was sick. Her optimism was unbelievable and her spirit just shined even through all this adversity. Indeed. And don't you find that with a lot of people who grow up with serious illness, they, they're kind of old souls to begin with because they have to face their mortality and think about what's really important. And we never hid her CF from her. She grew up knowing she had CF the way she knew she had to brush her teeth and take care of herself. And, and yet, of course, she wasn't, you know, super person, but but she had a great perspective. Um, I quote her in my book as saying, one of the things she said to her boyfriend once was, I like to picture all of us, you know, far above the earth and look down and, and you get a better perspective that way. And you see how it's all been done before and it will all be done again. And we have such a brief, be- beautiful, uh, fleeting life. And, and it helps me put it in perspective and and not feel so bad about the fact that my life might be cut, cut short. So many of the people we've interviewed who have had to take care of family members, particularly children over time, it's really kind of a, a job. Right. Uh, 
keeping somebody alive and keeping them going and keeping their spirit up. And then she was also your only child. How was it for you? I mean, it must've been a very large empty space for you and your husband. Oh my goodness. It still is. It's horrible. It's horrible. I want to, another thing I talk about in the book is that I, I realized, you know, people ask how we are and I say we're functioning and we are functioning. You see me and I look great and I often am great, mm -hmm. but I might be on the floor crying, even though it's, you know, years can pass. It doesn't matter. The grief is still How long has it been? terrible. It was five years in December, which seems impossible, mm -hmm. but you know how it is. Yeah. Five years uh, is not long for loss of a child. How have you dealt with it? You and your husband? Well, <clears throat> honoring her memory obviously is important. And that's what a lot of parents do. And I applaud that. I'm all I've I'm a lifelong writer. I always wrote fiction, but after the loss of her, I realized that writing the personal became necessary. I would write on a blog and I would tell very honest, frank stories and people would reach out to me and, and say, "These it really helps to have somebody talking honestly about these subjects. Maybe you should write a book. And writing the book really became um, my life's purpose for a while. And the book came out last year and I've done an awful lot of speaking and seeing the effect of the book, especially Caitlin and her story of resilience. And I guess my story of resilience, it, it just, it resonates with people. And that's so important because if I can help make other people feel stronger and better, then I'm happy. And I also truly believe that we are all temporary. We never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Rather than focus on everything that's wrong, I really, really would rather focus on everything that's right and do everything I can to keep Caitlin's memory alive, her messages still going. And that gives my day's purpose. Well, and Marianne, I've got to say, we grieve the way that we live. And what you're doing now is what you also did when Caitlin was here in many ways, because I, I remember you playing hangman in her room yes. to keep so that you could keep a positive vibration and keep <laughs> things very optimistic so that she'd feel good and her immune system would be in a good space, et cetera. And you were there and you showed pictures of you and then pictures of her in this positive place as well. We, we always tried to keep it positive in the hospital. We laughed more than ever in the hospital. And yes, hospital hangman was a favorite game. Do you have any rituals you do? And what about holidays? Well, um, I, as I write in my book and on my blog, Caitlin's best friend from high school, very, very close, was living in San Francisco when Caitlin was waiting for her transplant. They, you know, texted, talked every day and Jess went out and ran a half marathon and ended up discovering that she had stage three breast cancer at the age of 31. She's amazing, but she promised at Caitlin's funeral to do something important in her memory. And she created the Leo project in honor of Caitlin in Kenya for school children and the community. And after Caitlin's transplant, she longed to go to Kenya with Jess. She's now building the Caitlin O'Hara Community Health Center there. She has done so much in Kenya while still going back to San Francisco every 12 weeks to see her oncology team. So for the fifth anniversary in December, my husband and I went to Kenya and we saw uh -huh. the Leo Project and it was just, it was the first December 20th that we were able to um, smile a bit through our tears because it was just wonderful to see the lives that Caitlin's legacy has has affected all the incredible work that Jess is doing.
What did you do early on? How was it the first year for people in the second year? The first year was just horrible. I I could barely function. I could barely sit up straight. It was really hard to function. I tried to get help. I tried to get counseling. And I've always found it's hard to find a counselor um, or therapist. And I had really bad luck in the beginning. I kind of found that I had to find my own way. And fortunately for me, I am a writer. I already had the blog that I had used during the transplant wait to keep friends and family abreast of news. So writing on the blog became the only thing that made me feel good. That was the only time for that first nine months or so that I, that I felt like a normal human being. And I loved reaching strangers and people reaching out to me and telling me their stories and realizing that I wasn't alone. I also had a bad experience. And you know, today I'm a a psychologist in private practice in New York City. And I hear stories like yours all too often. And I do specialize in grief and loss. And again, my therapist minimized my loss as well. Mm -hmm. And wanted to talk about, go back and talk about the day I was born. You know, I was in crisis. I needed to discuss how am I going to get through the next day? (laughs) How am I going to live without my brother? Who am I without him on this earth? And I just didn't have the patience or even the interest in talking about getting there eventually because I was 20. I didn't have the, the, you know, the energy to go through the first 20 years of my life. And so, like you said, we need to shop. If we do feel like we need professional support, you're a perfect example. We need to shop around for the right fit because there are people out there that are amazing and there are people out there that are professionals that don't have a clue about what it's like to lose a sibling, a child, or any family member for that matter. And that isn't helpful either. You can be a psychologist or a social worker out there in the field and specialize in grief grief and loss and never have had a class. Mm-hmm. And I know peer support is also a big source of support. And I don't know if there were other people that you reached out to that maybe had the death of children that helped you in your journey. That I, I did actually a little bit of that. I'm really thankful that I have people in my life that I'm really close to who were really good people and who grieve Caitlin as much as I do. And, and we still, we still cry and laugh and all of it about her. What do you say to people, Marianne, that ask you how many children you have? Oh, it's such an awful question. Mm-hmm. It is true that there is no word for those of us who lose our only children. Um, I say, now I, I can say it very easily, but I say, I had a daughter. She was absolutely amazing. I love to talk about her. I lost her and she's just the best thing in my life. Something to that effect. I, I like that because it gives people permission to continue the conversation. Yes. And I'm happy to, I don't want people to be afraid to talk to me about Caitlin. Mm -hmm. Caitlin wouldn't like it. Caitlin had a big personality and she, she wouldn't like it if we weren't talking about her and if we were forgetting her. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about earlier because you're such a lovely writer and I wanted to uh, have you read something from your book And talk a little bit before that about signs and connections. I was always an agnostic, but an open-minded person, but who knows what's out there and who who knows what's after death. But after Caitlin's passing, I really started to receive signs, so many that I began to write about them on the blog and the most unlikely people would write back or tell me, yeah, you know, like this is what happened when my father died or 
this is what happened when my mother was dying. She said, I saw my, I, you're not going to believe it, but I see my sister, things like that. So I just started really um, being open to them. Certainly uh, hawks are definitely a thing. And when Caitlin was um, first in the ICU, it was a horrible day. And we thought we were at the end. And my husband said, come on, I'm going to take, Jess was in the ICU room with her. My husband said, I'll take you home for a shower. And we were getting on the highway. And literally, I'd never seen anything like this in my life. A red-tailed hawk, a big white hawk came right up to my windshield like that, to the point where I went, I cringed. I thought this hawk was going to come right into the car. We looked at each other like, is that a sign? Was that a sign that everything's going to be okay? Well, I was plagued by hawks. And in the end, she didn't make it. And then after her death, hawks, hawks, hawks. And one day, one of my best friends came for a visit and I opened the door to let her in and we heard these wings and there was a hawk like sitting above my door. This has never happened ever. It, you know, right. I, I've lived many decades, flew right over. And Susan said, if, if I hadn't been here to see that, I don't know that I would have believed it. It was like that hawk was waiting there. So hawks have definitely been a thing. 33s are definitely a thing. Caitlin was 33 when she passed. Um, and then there are crazy fun things like David Bowie. I mean, Joni Mitchell, music. She loved music. It's just, I write a lot about signs in the book because really the book isn't really about Caitlin's cystic fibrosis and the tragedy of loss. It's really about my search for answers to the big life questions. That's the narrative arc of the book. And so I've lost my daughter. I'm thinking is life worth living? And I go off on a journey to discover what the answers might be that satisfy me as a human who would like to continue living happily, you know, with contentment and joy. So uh, what I have discovered is that synchronicities do exist, regardless of how they exist, they do exist and, and you can take comfort in them. And that part you want me to read is um, yes. a part I, I talk about. It was the summer after Caitlin's passing and we invited all of her friends to Martha's Vineyard, her favorite place for a little celebration of her life in honor of her July 31st birthday. So it was a lovely event and then everyone was gone and I was alone with my husband on the island and I decided to drive out to the far end of the vineyard, which is very quiet even during the high season. And I was alone and the last time I had been on island I had been with Caitlin and she and I had driven all the way out there. I decided to drive out to the far end of the island down Lobsterville Road, a skinny stretch of pavement that follows the curving peninsula of Lobsterville Beach to reenact the last time we were on island and Caitlin and I drove all the way out there. It's a part of the island where you rarely see other people, just long empty stretches of beach open only to residents. I decided to go all the way to the end as I had with Caitlin that day where the road ends at a small turnaround and boat ramp. As I drive, I'm saying things aloud, like, what the heck? Why does it have to be this way? Why can't we communicate if you're really out there? I try to remind myself of all the validations I've received, the hawks, the speak to me and Joni, but I am jammed inside Earth's physical plane. And today is one of those days when a tangible afterlife is fantasy. She's gone, I think. There's nothing else. I will never see her again. I loved you from the first minute, I say, and I'm crying now. No one will ever call me mom again. 
I turn into the dead end area where the road stops at the water and I pass him, a guy who is all by himself out there, carrying a burlap bag with three big red letters on its side, an acronym for something, three red letters that spell mom. Oh. It was so cool. And do you know, after so I published that story, I guess it's a supermarket like down around Delaware and somebody sent me a mom bag. Like, how, um, nice how nice is that? Amazing. People that's have done really, the kindest things. That's an incredible wonderful. story. And you have to believe in science after hearing that story. There are so many. It's like, we laugh about them now. We're just like, oh. We have a whole big <laughs> jar full of dimes. People, have, our family have found dimes everywhere in the oddest places on a helicopter, on a golf cart path, you know. I love it. We've even gone all the way to grandkids now. Finding her, so. <laughs> it is weird. And after and after my father died, he died in October of 2020. We started Sorry. finding, you know, my brother died when I was growing up, but we started finding two dimes together. Come on. It was really that... odd. I was like, what are the odds that I'm going to find two dimes together? You know, really? Who Very even strange. sees a dime anymore? I, I have it. <laughs> exactly. That's so great. Well, tell us where people can find you and where they can read your blog and get your book and all the things you're doing. It's anywhere books are sold. And I also recorded the audible version myself. My name is Marianne O'Hara and I'm on Instagram and you know Facebook and all the social media with my own name, M-A-R-Y-A-N-N-E-O-H-A-R-A. And yeah, and um, I have Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and uh, for all the good you do. Thanks, Marianne, and thank you so much for helping people find light in the dark. Thank you so much, Heidi. And thanks, everybody, for joining on this show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own, and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.